Welcome to the Golf Life Alberta podcast with your hosts, Leo Bathgate-Snethan and Darren Krause. Hey everybody, welcome to the Golf Life Alberta podcast, season one, episode 20, even though it should probably be closer to episode 30 by now. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's I just call it episode, episode 20D. Yes, actually, we have tried recording this episode that many times, so um, <laughs> let's, let's hope that this one actually goes ahead. I am your host, Leah Bathgate-Snethin, with a bit of a head cold, so I apologize in advance for my voice, and I am here with my co-host, Darren Krause. Hey, Darren. Hey, Leah. I do not have a head cold. I've managed to avoid this bug that's going around. Lucky you, but you said that your wife got it. Yeah, she did. <coughs> uh, she got it pretty good for about a week, um, almost to the point where her throat like right closed up on her. She couldn't sleep at night because it was affecting her breathing, so it got pretty bad. Yeah, it hasn't been fun, and I, I have to do a little pregnancy complaint here when you cannot take drugs to get any relief even for like an hour of all of these symptoms oh my goodness it is not fun it is no kidding not fun oh and tearing your your stomach muscles because you know you're pregnant (laughs) and your stomach is stretched and you're coughing and sneezing so much so there is that as well if you could only see this small small fiddle playing for you on the other side of the i know call the ambulance i know (laughs) but yeah it it has been a long time since we have recorded um did you want to give our our army of fans uh, kind of a, a take on on what rolled out and why it's been a couple months since our lad po- last podcast uh well it started with technical difficulties and travel mixed together at the same time mm-hmm. so um us both being away from our original files not being able to resend them not noticing ahead of time blah blah blah, blah. um and then yeah life really yeah. um travel tournaments me being pregnant etc uh that's about it really yeah you know what i have no other reason (laughs) yeah it it was vacation and then uh you know as we talked about before i mean i've got this business going and it just keeps ramping up and so you know we've connected on a number of occasions where we've been like oh hey is today the day to do it and we just our schedules can never meet so Um, I'm sure all of you out there understand how sometimes that kind of stuff can happen, but we are back and we are ready to talk some golf. But in the interim, Neeler Nose has been kind of keeping us fresh out there on the website. He has been. So thank you so much, Ryan. I know I bug you to no end. And actually, one of the, was it, was it 20... B 20 C I believe I can't remember uh Ryan even attempted to record the podcast with me at one point as well while you were on vacation and exact same technical difficulties which then you know made us figure out exactly what the issue was because the same thing happened twice so (laughs) that's where you start learning lessons so thank you so much Ryan for attempting to record a podcast with me for keeping your articles going every week on the website, keeping the social media going all the time on Golf Life Alberta. Much appreciated. I know I bug you, but I do appreciate you at the same time. Because it's been two months, there's been so many Alberta Golf Tour events. I'm, I'm not going to go over all of them because there's been so many, but 
the big one, the four-day event at Kananaskis. Mm-hmm. Our tour championship happened August 23rd to 26th. Uh, you were there. I was. How was it? Uh, you know what? I loved it. Um, I am... I am a cold weather golfer, so I don't mind. Like, I mean, I went out to Heritage Point last week, um, and it was only five degrees. I know you're paying a hundred bucks around for five degree weather. A lot of people are like, "What the hell?" Yeah. Um, but I don't mind, and I think I, I think it resulted in good, comfortable playing conditions for me. And I mean, aside from day four, I I played all together pretty well. Yeah, you did. And, uh, you know, we talked about this before with when you and I played together at Highwood. I don't mind the wind. I can adjust for the wind as long as it's still nice out. Um, cold weather and rain, uh-uh, not, mm-hmm. not my thing. <laughs> Very clearly <laughs> not my thing because I ended up having to play. Uh, that was not the plan, right. nor did I really enjoy it all that much and I shot triple digits one day so that made me feel like crap <laughs> but all of that aside um, I think the majority of us had a great time I know uh, we had a quite the thunderstorm in the middle of our round oh, one yeah, day actually was, you hadn't even teed else. off yet so you were fine um, but the people that were on the course because you were in the last group weren't you that day yeah we were in the last group that day and we were in the snack shack there where the where the two courses kind of converge and it was the lightning was all around us but yeah th- thankfully we were able to to hold off and we teed off right as the storm had passed so uh, but it was it was really cold at that point i think when we got off the course it was probably about 3 or 4 degrees oh it was insane and yeah the lightning it I, I couldn't believe we were getting a thunderstorm with the temperature that we also had at the same time. It was so crazy. We were on Mount Kid that day, and of course, my group is sitting on the number four tee, which is that beautiful signature hole, that par three with the water kind of all around mm-hmm. the green. And because it was already so backed up, there was a marshal there actually um, having us... So she'd have a group tee off, and while the group that just teed off was driving down to the green, she'd have the next group tee off, and then they would go and putt out, and then they'd come off while we were driving down. The group behind us would, or like once once the group ahead of us was done, they would tee off, and then we would go putt out, et cetera, et cetera, because there was already three groups on that tee box by the time we got there that day and I think I was in I was in the third no fifth group that day and there's three and it wasn't like it wasn't just us there was obviously groups ahead of us as well so it was interesting um and when the lightning came my group decided they were not scared of it (laughs) which I mean good for you but you're holding a metal rod in your hand and I don't really want to go out on the green I'm I'm pregnant and I'm trying to protect the other you know human in my body same time but no they were going so I had to go um I ended up in the bunker right of the green and I mean those bunkers they they need a year to kind of settle right so they're a little bit over full really hard to hit out of um it, it does not come out consistently let's just say that much so the pin was on that side of the green that day as well if you recall Mm-hmm. And I scalded my bunker shot because I was like, I just want to get out. Like, I don't want to get stuck in this bunker, get stuck against the lip or whatever. So I swung at it and I scalded it all the way to the other end of the green. 
I don't know if you know how long that green is, but I believe it is somewhere in the vicinity of 100 feet wide. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably pretty close to 40 yards, but, you know, 30, between 30 and 40 yards for sure. Yeah, and so I was almost on the fringe on the back left, and the pin was front right. I two-putted, because I was just like, I didn't even care. I hit the first putt. It actually almost went in. It just skimmed the edge and continued rolling down the hill, and I made my putt coming back, because I I didn't mark it. I was just like, screw this. I am finishing this putt, and I am getting off this green. Um, So that was probably the best two-putt I might have ever had in my life. I I was happy with that. That's good stuff. Is there any, uh, any one shot that sticks out to you for that whole week? Uh, no, I would say, though, my second round, and that was the day that we had all of the rain. I did shoot a 79 that day. I, again, I was very, very comfortable on the course. So, so I mean, while I try to forget the 92 that I shot on day four, I kind of remember just, you know, just how comfortable and consistent I played. Nothing particularly spectacular in that 79 but just very consistent hitting fairways hitting greens um when i chipped i put it close you know so that's what good I boring golf really. yeah exactly very boring golf that's good there's i don't find anything wrong with boring golf i want to give a quick shout out though to all of the flight champions from championship um in the champ flight we had a wire to wire win uh, the course played very long. The guys played from the tips and with it being cold and wet, obviously the ball wasn't rolling or traveling as far. So the first two days they played pure tips. And then the last two days, I actually pushed them up to the tee ahead on the par threes because they were playing like there's one on Lorette that was playing close to 260 yards, 270, something like yeah. that. It was insane. So well, and um, and that one always plays into the wind. Always, yep, hundred percent of the time. I've never seen it play anything else. Uh, so congratulations with uh, scores of 80, 80, 83, and seventy-seven to Mitz Simonelli. Mm-hmm. Um, in the A flight, we had a leader change pretty much every day. It was kind of between Mike Watson, who's played super consistently all year, uh, Tyler Kidd, who you know, kind of, I think he started in the C flight this year, but we kept having to move him <laughs> up because he kept winning. Yeah. He was actually leading after day two in the A flight. Um, and then Evan Raw, who spent the majority of his season in the champ flight, but that was because he had qualified for the Alberta amateur and wanted to play the yardages that he was more likely to play in the amateur. His, his handicap was usually just within the A flight range, but he had always requested to be in the champ flight. Um, but he played A flight at championship and uh, finishing off with a couple of 78s that got him the win. So congratulations, Evan Raw in the A flight. Mm-hmm. In the B flight, wire to wire, <clears throat> someone else who doesn't usually play in the B flight. Just kidding. <laughs> We're gonna okay, I'm gonna say that. it about. Are, I'm are gonna we seriously gonna rehash that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. How could we not? But um, it it still did because of you know you started out so everyone Darren Krause, uh, my co-host, won the B flight. Um, how many times? And I'm not saying this at all to throw you under the bus, but how many times did you play the B flight in regular season this year? 
(laughs) That is a freaking loaded question, and you know it, because the answer is zero. Zero. Okay, I was just wondering, because Pascal in the C flight, exact same situation. Evan in the A flight, same situation. I wasn't trying to throw you under the bus. I was actually genuinely (laughs) curious. Um, So, yeah, you started out with an 82 and a 79, and then, as you mentioned, uh, 92 on the final day, you were 87 on day three. It actually, uh, little Miss Sandra Shell, um, who's been struggling with her game all year as well and was in the A flight last year too and half of this year, you guys, it came down to the 18th hole. Yeah, it did. Uh, Sandra played a great round of golf. She came in there focused. Um, I have no qualms in telling the audience out there that, yeah, I had an 11-shot lead, but I think that was probably to my detriment I played like I had an uh, an 11-shot lead instead of attacking the course as I had done, you know, pulling out the driver because I was hitting my driver well. So, you know what, I played way, way, way too safe and it ended up biting me in the ass. I think I probably bogeyed, you know, 12 out of 18 holes um, and that never bodes well for a score. So, Sandra played well, consistent, and yeah, I ended up having to gut check on hole 18 and say look or 72 I guess technically yeah hole 72 72, um, and go look you better nut this one down the fairway then you better make a good second shot Um, and then because it's a par five you better make a good uh, third shot into the middle of the green and then I don't care if you two or three putt that should get you pretty close to the win Right. So that's what I did. You know what I said to myself on, it was, it was day two, but on hole 18, you want to know what I said to myself that day what? on that tee? I said, Leah, you better do better than a triple bogey on this hole or you're getting triple digits. <laughs> so what did I do? Made an eight for a 100. Well, Leah, that just goes to show you, you said, don't do this. And you did it. That's and I true. said, We've do talked this. About you know what? That is a that, that is, is a whole episode on the mental side of the game, just waiting yep. to be told. Yep. I and yeah, you're right because I lectured Chris Patterson last year at Presidents Cup on negative versus po- positive talk, mm-hmm. and I did it myself. You are correct. In the C flight, man, C flight is funny. I I usually play in the C flight, but this year, especially winning at Highwood and whatnot, like I've been having a decent year. Um. These players are typically kind of the 11 to 15 range. It's funny because I I think I've also said on a podcast, and if I haven't, I guess I'm saying it now, my slowest players are always in the champ flight and in the C flight because they're both capable of shooting good scores. Obviously, the champ flight tends to shoot better scores more often. That's why they're in the champ flight. Um, But the C flight is still capable of shooting in the 70s once in a while. And they sometimes take their time as if they're always going to shoot in the 70s. But there was some ridiculously good scores. Like Ken Austin on the last day shot a 78. Yeah, um, I've, I've played with Ken before, and I know that Ken is capable of shooting a 78. In fact, I think the first time I played with him, um, he probably shot low 80s. Uh, he's very, very capable he's of consistent. shooting that 78. He hits the ball a long ways, and he is very consistent. What he told me when he came in, because 
as you know, when you come in with a good score in a flight that you shouldn't have that score in, everyone calls you a sandbagger, right? So, um, of course, he was getting the gears when he came in with his 78. And I turned to him and I said, what happened? Because I played with him on the first day and he was on his way to his 78 that day and then just kind of melted on the back nine. He said, Leah, I, you know, what happens on day two and three at championship, you guys, in case you don't know, is... We do these random pairings and Ken ended up playing, I believe, with two champ flighters uh, the day before. And he told me that he watched them. He watched the way they addressed the ball, the way they swung at the ball, um, the position of their club, etc. And so there was one key thing that he picked up from these champ flighters that he tried on the final day. And obviously it worked for him. Isn't that yeah. crazy? That's the exact same thing he told me, and he said it was just as simple as an adjustment of the angle of his of his club head, you know, with a little yeah. bit of the toe in, in the air. And I mean, for for a lot of people that might look and feel uh, uncomfortable, but for Ken, it just it just clicked, and I mean, obviously led to a really good score of seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, but not to take away from the winner of the sea flight, started out with a 90, which I think had him in third or fourth place on day one, um, and then continued with an 80, 85, 87, all with a pretty sore shoulder. I played with him in the final round, and there were a lot of shots he had to give up on. He just kind of swung and didn't even watch where the ball was going because he was in a lot of pain that day. Um, but even with Ken 78 on the final day and and Pascal shooting 87, mm-hmm. it was still good enough to win by 10 strokes in the C yeah. flight at the end of the day because his second uh, and third rounds were good compared to everybody else, right? So well, congratulations, I, Pascal. I played with Pascal on day two, and that's the day that I shot the 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shot the mm-hmm. 80. You know, there's a lot of things that, that, that go into a round like that. And one of them is comfortability and ease with the players that you're playing against. Or, or I guess rather playing with. You know, sometimes you'll get into a situation where you're playing with people and you're just, you know, the, the, the chemistry or the vibe just isn't good. But man, we, we had an absolute blast while we were out there. That was the rainy day. And it was hole number nine where Pascal hurt his shoulder. He was going over that bridge. We both thought, oh, hey, you know, we're just going to blast our driver off to the right. Thankfully, um, because we neither of us knew that there was a river um, right there where our driving (laughs) distance was. I cleared it, and he actually just put it a little bit over to the right. But he was walking across that bridge there, and given the fact that it was rainy, his feet just went right out from under him and he landed right oh. on his shoulder. And I mean, good on him for being able to still shoot in 85 and 87 um, because I know that he was in a lot of pain. He was. He, he, he really was. I got, like I said, I got to play with him final day. It was a blast playing with him. I, like, oh my goodness, he's so much fun to play with. And, you know, it was, it was tough because um, our group... <laughs> I apologize to the other two. I'm not going to name anybody, but it was, we were a little bit behind the entire round. And I know Pascal and I both felt the pressure, both of us, to kind of make up the time because um, we were so far behind. And I don't, I think that that 
may have contributed a little bit to our scores. I'm not making excuses by any means, but um, between him and I, I man, it, it was a fun, it was a fun round. I mean, I still shot like crap, but I think I was 95 on the final <laughs> day, but whatever. I wasn't expecting, I was too pregnant at the time and I was not expecting to do well myself. Um, and then in the D flight, I thought it was going to be a wire to wire win and, and kind of similar to the A flight and, and even almost your B flight, it came down to the final round, um, came down to almost the final hole. Uh, I think at the end of the day, he ended up winning by five strokes. Um, but going into the final day was behind by five strokes. That's how quickly these things can change. Um, but, uh, is his first year on the tour and brought, brought by last year's D flight winner, Ayaz. Congratulations with mm-hmm. rounds of, and I want everyone to listen to this because I get a lot of comments from people saying, well, I'm not joining your tour. I'm not good enough. Okay. Here's our D flight winning scores, 96, 99, 94, and then a final round 88. Um, with Nazir Magani. So congratulations, Nazir. And I hope that everybody understands that you don't have to be shooting low 80s to play in the AGT. No, you don't, um, as evidenced by my 92. <laughs> hey, I shot 100, <laughs> no, we, okay. No, we've, we've got a big golf tent for everybody. It's so. true. Um, and then I just want to give a quick shout-out as well to our year-long Callaway Order of Merit winner, Um I think that this is the first year that Sandra Shell has not been the winner. So <laughs> it was kind of odd. Um, I, and I know in the last <laughs> few weeks of the season, um, this guy and Cody were, were really hashing it out, like almost cheering against each other at tournaments, even though they don't play in the same flight, <laughs> cheering against each other. Um, cause they wanted to finish up top, but, uh, at the end of it, winning with a pretty significantly, considering how close they were. They were like 17 points apart at one point, but I think he ended up winning by about 300 and some points. Congratulations to Chris Patterson. He won a Callaway Rogue Driver. Um, and the sad thing, we've never had to do this before. Well, there are so many things that happened this year that we didn't have to do before. President's Cup mm-hmm. was supposed to be this last weekend, and... It snowed again. It was the second snow after a complete melt, in fact. And yeah, it's just been a weird, weird year for weather. There's not enough time to postpone it now, Um, you know, especially with Thanksgiving and whatnot coming up and, um, you know, me being as freaking pregnant as I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're postponing President's Cup till spring. I've never had to postpone or move tournaments before in my six seasons doing this this is the first year I've ever had to do it and in the Edmonton area we had to move two events to different golf courses and then we get pushed until spring on this one and I know it's not just tough on us but it's tough on these golf courses bottom line all around and you know we didn't even get to start golfing till mid-May and then we're pretty much done mid-September that is a four-month season like that angers me i know i know especially since i mean even the past two years um i think i've (laughs) golfed well into the end of october and that's not to say that we still might not get some nice weather but you take a look at the two-week forecast and every other day is rain you know it might get up to eight nine degrees like 
what happened to these 20, 25 degree, you know, days in October where we could, may, you know, maybe have to wait out a frost delay, but still get some nice weather. Um, we didn't get it in the spring and we certainly aren't getting it in the fall. And I mean, you know, I know that there's, there's a running joke in Alberta that you get to golf for four months of the year, which is never really the case. But yeah, I mean, this year we have only had about a four month golf season. Yeah, it's, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Oh my gosh, it's, it's... How can I get that handicap down to scratch if I can't play any more than five or four months hey, a year? Hey, easy there, beef lighter. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I really wanted to mention real quick is uh, something that we've been chatting about all season, and that's been Tyler's little venture on drive, chip, and putt. So mm-hmm. I don't think we would have no we didn't do a podcast for how long so he made it through stage one I believe we all knew that um he went to stage two and the kid freaking dominated every single station every shot I don't think he could have done better if he re-hit any of these shots like oh my gosh it was the most amazing thing and I'm pretty sure he he ended up beating the second place person by like 40 points it was awesome and i was so proud of him and um a little girl actually from uh rocky mountain house which is just south of us um who is a member at pine hills which is where we golf the most uh also ended up getting first place in same age division and obviously the girls category and the two of them met for the first time and they are the male and female versions of each other i figured out (laughs) so did her mom uh they are so adorable and just they're both lefties they both are freckle faces and they're both obviously really good golfers so they both continued on to the next stage which was just a couple weeks ago at chambers bay it was tough it was um pressure like he's never felt before because um i bet at the other one, so the first one, the top three in each category get to go to the next stage. And then at the second stage, the top two get to go to the next stage. And then at this one, only the top person gets to go to the next stage, which is Augusta. So the pressure was Ooh. intense. And it was so hard not, you know, as, as a mom and as the person that's kind of been by his side all summer doing this, watching him struggle with handling that pressure and the pressure that he put on himself and so unfortunately in each of the categories he had one shot um, not really count he hit one drive out of bounds he had one chip that just it was really weird because it was his his last chip and he was trying to adjust like he always did he always progressively got better on his his chipping points and this one just it, it didn't check at all and it rolled out to one point and then you know, I'm trying to give him a pep talk in between the chipping and putting. And I said to him, buddy, like, I know you feel like you're out of it, but there's 25 points separating you and potentially first place, depending on how these kids do in putting, which if you hole a putt in the putting category, you get 25 points. So I'm trying to, oh, wow. yeah, okay. but in his so mind, he, was he totally wasn't. In it. So you know, trying, and especially with a 10-year-old, right, like trying to convince him that, like, no, you're not actually out of it. Don't give up yet. And putting is your game. I don't know. Did you get a chance to play with Tyler at all? 
I don't know if you did. No, oh, I didn't. Well, except for we we played That's around right. on the the green at Kananaskis for like. And putting four is days, his so. game, right? So, I just reminded him how good he is at mm-hmm. putting, and we, I, I I wasn't even expecting it to happen, but I wanted to put it in his head, and I was like, "Listen, bud, you know they putt from I think it's five feet, fifteen feet, and then twenty five feet." I said, "You're gonna go out there, and you're right. gonna hole your first two putts, and then you're gonna." get your last putt because the last putt was insane it was like this downhill curler and man everybody's balls were just taking off down this hill and he went up there and he sank the first one and then he sank the second one and I was like oh my god he's gonna do it he's gonna do it (laughs) and he ended up hitting the ground slightly and then his ball I don't know he said there was like a patch of fertilizer or something in front of where he Mm. hit that last putt and he didn't even make it down the hill when everyone else's balls like took way off. So it was kind of a stubbed putt and he only got one point. So, but he still, with that stubbed putt, he still got first place in putting. <laughs> like, wow. He only needed two shots. It was crazy. So I'm, I, I think that he understands the pressure a little bit more now. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully next year, you know, it was going to be really tough for us having a new baby and attempting to go to Augusta and who's going to get to go. Was it going to be Cody? Was it going to be me? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this as it was for the best this year. And hopefully next year, it's something that he has learned from experience and can kind of handle that pressure a little bit better being uh- 11. I have I have no doubt that that's exactly what's going to happen. Any time those kind of things happen, they're all learning experiences, and especially given his age, just going through the process is is really the most important part there. So I'm sure he'll have just as good a showing next year, and maybe end up getting to Augusta. Right. Um, It seems like it's been forever since we've talked about this too, but professional golf, the season for them is officially now over and their tour championship is also done and we've got Ryder Cup this weekend. Lots of exciting things happening, Darren. Yeah, there are a lot of exciting things. Um, I mean, is there anything more exciting than Tiger Woods and his big tour championship victory. And I mean, he almost got the double-double there with the FedEx Cup championship as well. And, you know, going into this season, Leah, I don't think anybody would have predicted that Tiger would have been in that position. Oh, man. Can we talk for a second about how upset I was that Justin Rose's ball didn't bounce backwards into the bunker on 18 (laughs) because... How did it not bounce backwards into the bunker? That That's all that needed to happen. And then for him to par that hole and Tiger would have won both. That was the only, that was it. That's all that needed to happen. I mean, I mean. Why didn't it just happen? What, what, that, that would have been an absolute Cinderella storybook. Every little, you know, cliche you could use for that. But I mean, it would have been nothing short of amazing for Tiger Woods to have captured both. But still, the story is great. I mean, you you had posted um, the, the massive crowds that were following Tiger Woods. I oh. mean, this was reminiscent of Arnie's army way back. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was so crazy. Like, 
I, I just sat there in awe, staring at my TV, watching him walk up 18. Like, all I could say is this is fucking insane. This is insane. Like, I, I was speechless. I was absolutely speechless. And as somebody who, we've talked about this a few times, really was not a Tiger fan in, in his day, right? Mm. I, I did not like Tiger. I didn't like his cockiness. I didn't like his attitude. I didn't like anything about him. For me, even personally, to come back, and I've been saying it all year, it's not like I just jumped on the Tiger bandwagon <laughs> for the Tour Championship. I have become a fan of him this year because he's been more personable. He smiles. He's more relatable on the golf course. Um, man, that was the coolest thing ever to see. And and as much as I don't like Rory, and I'm really mad at Rory too because he could have helped out. You know, like had he <laughs> not played like crap in that final round and finished ahead of Justin Rose. That's all that we needed too. Like there was so many other scenarios that could have happened that would have allowed Tiger to win the FedEx cup. But anyways, I digress. I'm not a fan of Rory, but Rory saw what was happening and kind of sprinted ahead of Tiger so that he could have that solo moment and enjoy what was happening. And I respected Rory for, for doing that. Well, and I mean, it's a perfect opportunity for us to get into what's happening now. I think with Tiger's resurgence, I mean, he's played some great golf the latter the latter part of the year. Um, obviously, winning the Tour Championship, and it it easily earned him a spot on the Ryder Cup team. And I mean, he along with Phil Mickelson, they are the elder statesmen. But could you like you can't imagine having two better guys anchoring that team from an experience perspective for the U.S. side? Um. Eh, I'll agree with with the comment on Tiger. Phil played <laughs> like shit at the Tour Championship, and if he doesn't find his game before this Ryder Cup starts, I'm highly concerned about what's going to happen. So, um, Phil, you and your like plus thirteen at the Tour Championship need to take a hike. Okay. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I, and I, love I don't Phil. I don't disagree with you at all. However, nobody I think Phil Mickelson has as many Ryder Cups under his belt. You take Tiger Woods out of it, and he almost has as many Ryder Cups under his belt than all of the other players playing for the US combined. And I think that is extremely valuable for the US team going into Europe and playing against you know, a relatively talented group of people on the European side. Yes, it's uh, it is quite talented on the European side. I was taking a look at that, and I do hope that his experience goes a long way. Um, you know, he's we'll talk about the pairings on day one here. Mm-hmm. He's he's not in them. He's benched for the Friday morning pairings. So hopefully, he can act like a co-captain or vice <laughs> captain, whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, with his experience and be that support because I don't know what's happening to his game right now, but I don't think it's there. It's not in Ryder Cup form. No, it isn't. Um, Before we get into the teams, because we'll go through the the strength of the teams here, and then, of course, we'll get into the matchups. But I did a little bit of, you know, tale of the tape sort of stuff. And when you compare the two teams, you've got Europe. They've got five Ryder Cup Mm -hmm. rookies, but of the other seven players – five have a winning percentage of 50% or better. So the U.S. has three rookies, and of the remaining nine, five have winning percentages below 50. So from that perspective, 
while the U.S. has the advantage in terms of experience, they don't really have the best winning percentage versus some of the uh, European players. But I think it bodes well moving forward for the U.S. And here's why. The European team, the average age is 33.75. The U.S. is 32.08. So you're asking yourself, well, what does that mean? What it means is there is a, a stronger group of more seasoned players that are going to be playing for the U.S. not only you know two years from now, but probably four years from now, six years from now. And there are a lot of new faces on the European team, and it's going to take them some time to get up to speed. So I think, and this kind of leads into what I think the outcome will be, I think the U.S. probably has a strong chance for not only this one, but even in, in 2020, of taking the Ryder Cup and actually probably taking it pretty convincingly. So you're picking the U.S.? I am picking the U.S. Okay. I was thinking about it this morning because I wanted us to, to pick a team, and I was cool going either way, um, and I was just going to pick whoever you didn't, so I'm going to pick Europe, <laughs> even though... Well, Even I mean, though I'm pretty sure that I've said that I hate everyone on that European team at some point this season, except for maybe like, let's see, Paul. Well, I don't hate Paul Casey. I don't hate Tommy Fleetwood. I don't hate Serge. I have no feelings towards Hatton or Molinari. Okay, so I hate Poulter and Rose. Not a big fan of Stenson or Rory, but I'll still pick Europe just because you picked the U.S. So. I'm going to say that it comes down to one person. And interestingly enough, it's Thomas Bjorn's countryman, Thor Bjorn Olesen. He's the 45th ranked player in the world. And I'm just not sure. I mean, this is not a household name. He is a Ryder Cup rookie. And I'm not exactly sure that he's got the game to play up against some of these top flight U.S. players. And it could end up being the weak link for the European side. And it could end up costing them overall. Can I ask you another question? Yes. Just looking at the experience here on the European roster, as you mentioned, Phil has made appearances now in 11 uh, different Ryder Cups Mm -hmm. and Tiger in seven of them. The really only senior person on the European roster is Sergio. He was a captain's pick to get on the team. Mm-hmm. He didn't even make it himself, um, with the next being Ian Poulter with five appearances, and then uh, Rory, Justin Rose, and Henrik Stenson with four. Um, do you think having Sergio as their most uh, seasoned player will bode well uh, no, and I think you've kind of highlighted the the overall issue. If if I were to put, uh, like I would on the final day, pair up Tiger Woods with Sergio Garcia. They have a long history. I mean, they're they're close to the same age. They they grew up playing, and I think that 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 is a good way to rattle the European team. If you're on day four and you're pairing up singles met matches, I'm putting Tiger against Sergio hands down because I don't think Sergio can handle the pressure, especially with the way that Tiger Woods is playing. So 
usually you want to put your closer in there in the final round uh, or final match of the day, uh, or at least, you know, you want to have a good match to start, but you also want to have a good match to finish. And I think that that Sergio against Tiger, when you're taking a look at that experience, I mean, there's not really any other person up there, except for maybe a Justin Rose uh, or Rory McIlroy, who would be who'd be able to step up in that sort of a stage, I don't think. Well, and here's the counter argument to that. You look at Tiger and his Ryder Cup record is 13, 17, and 3, whereas Sergio's is 19, 11, and 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, and Sergio, other... and don't get me wrong, I love Sergio, but Sergio gets the, Sergio gets the, the, the cupcake the matches. matches. Yeah, Tiger yeah. is always up against the other side's best. Well, uh, let's talk about who he's going to play first here this year sure. at, um, in the four ball, uh, I guess 4 a.m. ish Alberta time is when these will get kicked off. Um, Tiger Woods is partnered with. Uh, oh God, I don't like this. Everybody's guy. See, I, favorite I equally, player. I equally dislike the Amer- some Americans as, as I do the Europeans. I don't hate all of the English guys. Um, uh, yeah, Patrick Reed is his partner um, versus Tommy Fleetwood and Fran- Francesco Molinari. That'll be an interesting match. What do you think is going to happen there? Everybody has their thoughts on on Patrick Reed. But, I mean, if you go back to the past couple of Ryder Cups, I mean, he is he's pretty clutch. He or or even the 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 President's Cup. He's he's played pretty clutch. He's a good match play player. I know that this isn't match play necessarily, um, but. I think pairing Tiger Woods and Patrick Reed is, I, I think it's exceptional. I think you got two great, uh, great players, uh, long hitters, um, up against Fleetwood and Molinari. Who, I mean, Fleetwood can bomb it, but I, I guess all players can bomb it nowadays. But I would consider them more tacticians than than Woods and Reed. Um, so I think it's going to make for a good match. It will for sure, and. <laughs> I, I laugh because I mean old Tiger and and Patrick Reed now and then um, were very similar attitude wise and that's part of the reason I don't like Patrick Reed but um, it it's kind of funny you know pairing the guy who it's like ask me how awesome I am Patrick Reed with the guy who is like stop asking me how awesome you think I am and I'll just show you how awesome I am. Uh, that's going to be an interesting dynamic between those two, I feel like. And I'm excited to watch Tommy and Francesco together. That'll be fun. Um, the other one that's going to be fun is, did you know, this is totally sarcasm, by the way, everyone, in case you can't tell, these guys have played golf together since they were little children, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Did you know they are like lifelong friends? Uh, yes. They never talk yes, about yes, it. Yes, I did. Uh, in fact, I think Golf Channel dedicated an entire morning, you know, morning drive to the fact that they <laughs> that they were lifelong buddies, and yeah, they had all sorts of junior pictures. But yeah, but you know what? There's there, there's a lot to be said about that because 
part of what you want when you're playing in the Ryder Cup is you want good chemistry between partners. And in my mind, there's no better chemistry than those two. It, it is Justin Thomas's first uh, kick at the cat for the Ryder Cup. So pairing him up with Jordan Spieth is probably going to be a really calming influence because they're going up against arguably one of the most consistent players uh, for the European side in Paul Casey. Yeah, and uh, he's partnered with Tyrell Hatton. Um, that'll be an interesting match as well. Now, you know, I can't help but think about the times that Jordan and Justin have been put in the same pairing this season. And I don't think both of them have ever played well when they've been paired together. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, but this is the Ryder Cup, Leah. Come on. Uh, who else do we have? We have Brooks Kepka and Tony Finau against Justin Rose and John Rahm. Now those are that that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. That is a heavyweight tilt if you have ever seen one. I mean, Tony Finau, Tony Finau from the U.S. perspective uh, could be the difference maker in all of this. He was actually picked over. Oh gosh, let me see. Uh, guys like uh, Xander Shoffley, Matt Kuchar, and Kevin Kisner um, as one of the captain's picks. And, I mean, Kuch would have given you a little bit more of that experience, but when you mm-hmm. see how consistently and how well Tony Finau has played pretty much all season long, I think when you're thinking about the long-term picture for the Ryder Cup, uh, Tony Finau definitely has to be a part of that. And I think that he, like, he's really going to shine at this year's Ryder Cup. I totally agree, and he's been my major pick, my my dark horse, if you will, every major, just because I never changed them. <laughs> <laughs> but he's always been a solid pick, and he performs well in the big events, and obviously Brooks Kepka won two majors this year, so he performs well in the big events as well. Justin Rose winning the FedEx Cup obviously performs well, and then John Rahm has kind of been up and down this season, so... Mm-hmm. Man, that's going to be fun. And then the last one, DJ and Ricky versus Rory and Thorbjorn. Is that how you Thorbjorn say it? Thorbjorn Olesen. And you know what? This is where, I mean, you tuck that second match in when, you know, you're not exactly sure about the pairings. The first one, as we have talked about, is definitely going to set the stage for how this Ryder Cup is going to roll out. But in my mind, if you're looking at the two players that are opposing each other, this this one is a cakewalk for the U.S. side. I know that they don't want to get ahead of it thinking to the next ones, but you got, you got two of the best players in the world going up against Rory McIlroy, who, you know what, he's had a resurgence in his game this season. But Thorbjorn Olsson, a rookie, and I mean, I, I, I think that one's almost a throwaway match for the European side. Yeah, it seems weird, especially when you've got guys like Sergio, Alex Noren, Ian Poulter, and Henrik Stenson not playing in these matchups. Yeah. To to throw a rookie like Thorbjorn against Ricky and Dustin, you're right. It kind of seems like it's a throwaway match. I don't know. It does. I I don't understand. I mean, you've got you've got your <clears throat> you've got your most experienced guy in Serge. You've got Henrik Stenson. In my mind, Henrik Stenson, you know, shot for shot, might be one of the best players on the European side. And you've got the ageless wonder whom you detest, 
to no end, uh, Ian Poulter, who is <laughs> who is the best performing Ryder Cup player out of all of these people. Uh, why is he not there? Like like Poulter could be playing with with Rory McIlroy, and I think given Poulter's experience, I think that's a good matchup against DJ and Ricky. Yeah, I I'm I'm kind of confused. And then the the benches for the U.S. team on Friday morning, uh, Dushambo, I mean Dushambo, um, <laughs> Phil, Webb, and Bubba. So like a lot of big names there, also kind of being benched and yeah i mean there could be strategy for the future because there's afternoon matches is there not yeah there is um the interesting thing here is i think um for the u.s side you've got phil mickelson who i think will be a major player when it comes to singles uh that's just me surmising but He's also 48 years old. Nothing against the 48-year-olds out there, but Phil is at the stage in his golf career where you kind of got to manage that fatigue, especially if you need him on the last day. Uh, Deschambeau, he needs a little bit of time there to get, you know, acclimatized. He's he's a he's an energetic guy, and I think you need to ease him into the Ryder Cup sort of scenario. Um, as far as Webb Simpson, I mean, that guy is Mr. Consistent. You could probably plug and play him anywhere. But I think the other secret weapon on the bench here is Bubba Watson. He was snubbed in 2016 by Davis Love. And I think he's got something to prove here. He was a vice captain in 2016. Um, but I, I, I think that he's going to be a guy to watch as well for the U.S. side. It'll be interesting, especially because no one really likes him. <laughs> and <laughs> the Ryder Cup is, as as we know from playing our own, it's all about that camaraderie, even if you aren't on the same team. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know how I feel about Bubba yet in this whole situation. It's going to be a fun weekend. It is. It's always one of the best tournaments of the, well, of the every other year, Leah. Um, yes. You know, just the way the crowd gets involved and the emotion of the players, you really get to see them, you know, feel the golf game as opposed to, you know, the, the, the almost robotic sometimes feel of, you know, the week in, week out PGA Tour events. Uh, the, the emotion is what really catches me in this. Yeah, I agree. And I have to also say, side note, I'm really happy that Zach Johnson is not on the team because... I don't want to see him and Phil shake hands after good shots ever again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Chip Shots brought to you by Callaway Golf. So, um, as we talk about in almost every Chip Shots, it seems like, <laughs> Jacqueline Lee, once again... Um, on a roll at Ohio State. So she is actually the Big Ten Golfer of the Week this past week. She won the East and West match play. So it started with 36-hole stroke play. She was the leader at four under, uh, winning that by two strokes, and then dominated both of her matches five and four and five and three, earning her medalist honors to finishing her career with a perfect six and O oh in the match play at the East and West. Congratulations again, Jacqueline. Um, hopefully in the off-season, once things slow down for you, maybe we can get you on for an interview. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But in um, the meantime, also, we're going to continue talking about her because she has yeah, done so well. Yeah, we just so talk well. about her all the time. <laughs> um, we also, locally, I just wanted to let you guys know, because 
I thought everyone knew, but that's just because I am on every email list that like any golf course in this province has. So Mickelson National, for those of you who don't know, you can take a tour and actually play a four-hole loop at, at Mickelson National before the end of the year. So if you are a cold-weather golfer, um, <laughs> that might be a good option for you. Make sure you're on their email list to find out how you can do that. Um, or you can just email tourandplay at mickelsonnational.com and give them some selections of your availability, preferably weekday. And uh, I've seen some people post some pictures already of this four-hole loop, and it looks pretty awesome out there. So. Well, I tell you, from the stuff that I've seen, it looks like there's a, sh- or a ton of sand traps out there. <laughs> and they are deep. Yeah. They are interesting. So if you can't play the sand, maybe you want to think twice about taking that four hole. That is why I am not going to this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the other thing that we should mention in Callaway Chip Shots, Leah, is uh, we had a pretty big professional golf tournament here in Calgary, uh, I guess in the bridge between August and September. The Shaw Charity Classic went ahead at Kenny Meadows Golf Club, and Scott McCarron was here to defend his title. You know, it's a great tournament, probably one of the most watched and most supported uh, Champions Tour events on the schedule. And Scott McCarron defends his title. It's uh, everything's good. Lots of money for charity. It's uh, I, th- I I think it's a good mention this week for Callaway Chip Shots. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. Lots of money gets raised for charity. And that is a fantastic award-winning event on the Champions Tour and continues to get better every year, it seems like. Also, on a sadder note, um, with respect to the Shaw Charity Classic, uh, Mr. Clay Riddell passed away suddenly on September 16th. Um, He was one of the driving forces behind the Shaw Charity Classic and leaves an amazing legacy in Calgary and Alberta. Uh, with the Shaw Charity Classic and all of the money that has been raised uh, for it. So uh, we are thinking of his family and friends at this time. That was Chip Shots, brought to you by Callaway Golf. All right, Darren. Um I will admit I've been super crappy at attempting to get interviews, uh, hot seat interviews with the AGT players because I get a little bit too busy at all of these events. And so I've come up with a bit of a new segment, one that I think will help out a lot of the golfers. Um, I want to talk about rules and I want to talk about them in normal human terms so that we better understand them and understand how to apply them. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, make them less robotic as, as they are. Yeah, you know, I, so. I, I think discussing the rules is a great idea. I know that, and it's one of the great things about being on the AGT is that, I mean, we're, we do try to play by all of the rules of, of golf, but there is a little bit of flexibility because we all, uh, we all also want to learn and in some cases teach. Uh, so I think this is a good fit especially for golf life in Alberta, because there are a lot of those rules that people are just like, well, what is the real rule? And I think we're going to talk about some of those. Yes, for sure. And I want to, once, once this golf season is done, 
I'd also like to talk about the rules that got changed, possibly why they got changed and all of that fun stuff. I don't want to confuse anybody for the remainder of the season. We are still technically golfing, so I will wait on those ones. But Darren, in the meantime, is there any rules that you aren't super clear on? Well, let's talk about an easy one. It happens all the time and we've all been on the tee with our buddies or or that sort of thing where somebody tees it up and you know they're waggling away and whatnot, you know, doing their practice swing and the ball falls off the tee. I've always been under the impression that the rule, the actual rule in the game of golf is that you have to play it where it lies because if you actually pick up the ball and put it back on the tee, that's where the penalty stroke is. Well, it's funny because anytime that happens, you want to know what happens with us? Tyler says, one, <laughs> and then laughs and puts his ball back on the tee. And, and I would um, think actually, that's the penalty, but that's not the case. No, you, you are incorrect with this one. That used to be the case. Okay. It got changed um, a while back. From what I can sort of see, I believe maybe it was around 2013, 2014 that it got changed. The rule, uh, let, me, let me read the official wording. Um, 11-3, if a ball, when not in play, falls off a tee or is knocked off a tee by a player in addressing it, it may be reteed without penalty. However, if a stroke is made at the ball in these circumstances, whether the ball is moving or not, the stroke counts, but there is no penalty. You know, if you whiff it off the tee, then like you meant to swing at it like it was your actual swing and you whiffed it and it really didn't go anywhere. That counts. That you cannot re-tee. But if you're just addressing it, you're just waggling and you aren't actually making your swing, you may re-tee it. Well, that's good to know. Um, it's still way more fun to charge somebody a stroke and do that whole one, oh, two, three, hitting three. But I guess that's not the way the rule goes. Um, I believe, um, actually, it would have been around the same. No, it would have been even before that. I've actually had people, since we're kind of talking about the same thing, I've had people ask me this one too, um, where especially on a par three, and you pick up a broken tee off the ground and you tee up your ball with that. Um, some people say, oh, no, that's using somebody else's equipment. That's a two-stroke penalty. It's not. Oh, okay. Because I'm be. like, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I do that all the it time. It used to be, <laughs> but that one got changed as well. Um, but yeah, some people. It's funny because like all these little nuances do get changed over time, and some people don't don't always know. They're not always informed of this. So yes, if you are just addressing your ball and it falls off the tee, you didn't make an actual swing at it, you may re-tee it without penalty. And no, using a broken tee off the ground is not using somebody else's equipment. So no penalty there. Either. Good to know. So you actually got a bonus rule interpretation there, folks. So stick around for this one. This is going to be a good segment. I'm excited for it. All right. Well, uh, Darren, I think I think that's good. Man, we talk a lot. Um, but we had two months, I guess, to make up for. We so did. There was a lot that. of a lot of pent up golf energy, especially because I've only been able to get out once in the past few weeks. Ugh, I'm not getting out anymore this year. <laughs> Far too big of a belly for that kind of stuff. 
but make sure that you keep up to date with all of Neeler Noe's articles. Um, I'm sure he's going to have plenty to say about this Ryder Cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, follow us and comment on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at GolfLifeAB. And then check out the website at GolfLifeAB.com. We'll see you guys next week. You've been listening to the Golf Life Alberta podcast.